Welcome to the Self Love Breakfast Club, where we have honest conversations about health, wellness, and of course, self love with amazing women who aren't afraid to give it to us straight. Real life, real advice, and no BS. I'm your host, Crystal Rose, and today I'm serving self love for breakfast. Hello, and welcome back to the Self Love Breakfast Club podcast. I am your host, Crystal Rose. And oh my God, you guys, do I have a treat for you today? I, I don't know if you're a true crime junkie or not, but this is a very different episode. And I am so pumped to bring you today's guest. At 15 years old, Kara Robinson Chamberlain survived a serial killer. She went on to use that survival as a platform to thrive, educate, and inspire others. Hey, Kara, welcome to the Self Love Breakfast Club. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. I'm Absolutely. I'm really excited to share your story. It is very powerful um, and wild. Just, you yeah. know, not something you just hear from people every day. So before we, we dig on into that, we, we've got to do our initiation. We've got to do GGB. So what right now, um, goals, gratitude, badassery for anyone who doesn't know. <laughs> <laughs> right now, what is your current goal? My current goal. Oh, do we want to go like really big or just like small? <laughs> what, what are you feeling? What is your body telling you? All right. You? So my current goal is um, I have been looking into, I actually had a phone call right before this. I've been looking into my captor um, in reference to other crimes. So my goal is to um, maybe have a show, maybe wow. have something go on where we, we dig a little deeper. I think he's responsible for some more stuff. So that's my big goal. That's my big one. <laughs> I just like right felt now. that in my like solar plexus that just like hit me. <laughs> yeah, wow. that's kind of that's kind of how I felt through this process. I, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got that. Yeah. And what are you grateful for? I am grateful for today. I'm grateful for just my platforms of social media and ways that I've been able to reach people. Um, it can feel very feel very futile sometimes mm. and feel like I'm banging my head against a wall. But I have had so many people just in the last, I would say 24 hours even that have reached out and just let me know that me sharing my story and um, me being vulnerable has helped them or helped them help others. And I think that's, that's a big thing that I'm grateful for right now. It's my reach yeah. there. Yeah. And badassery. What have you done recently? That's pretty badass or that you're really proud of. Hmm. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I think, I think, um, the documentary that I've been working on, like I've been very, very involved in it and it's coming to fruition and, um, seeing that and being like, Hey, I did that. I was a, I'm an executive producer on it. So Amazing. I definitely had, yeah. So it was pretty badass. That is very bad. I'm, I'm pretty proud of it. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, so let's dig in. Um, I believe I found you. So we were in street parking together Oh yeah, and yeah, and I think someone somewhere commented something about, or you commented on something and, and which led me to your TikTok, which had me like, <laughs> just <laughs> yeah. what, like, you know, that was a rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah. That was a big old rabbit hole. Um, so do you mind just like sharing, like, you know, that, that part of your story with us and just 
I'm like, oh, God. I know. Like, how do, how do I ask you? Sure, yeah, I, I know. know. It's like, it's just, it's so, it's so much. And like you, you know, when you were going through it on TikTok, it was like, holy shit, holy shit. And I just right. have to keep, keep <laughs> yeah. more. So, yeah. Um, so in 2002, I was 15 and I was normal 15 year old hanging out with my friends, had a boyfriend, was always with my boyfriend or my best friend. And I was kidnapped out of my best friend's front yard. I was out there watering the, the flowers for her before we left for the day to, we were going to go to the lake and uh, essentially a car pulled into the driveway. A man got out and he came over to me. He stayed a dis- like a good distance away from me. He didn't mm-hmm. seem creepy or scary or anything like that. And he asked me the, you know, the, the, I guess the standard line, are your parents home? And I said, well, this is my friend's house and her parents aren't home. And he said, okay, well, I'm handing out these magazines or these pamphlets and saw you out here. And I figured I'd leave them for you. And maybe you can leave them for her parents. And I said, okay, I'll do that. And, and so at that point, he kind of entered my personal space to hand them to me. And he put a gun to the right side of my neck and told me to, that I was, he said, you're going to come with me now. And I said, stop, stop. And he said, no, you're going to come with me. And so he led me around to the driver's side of his car, opened the driver's door, put the seat forward and said, get in. And in the back seat, there was a big plastic container. And I said, where, where do I go? And he said, get in the container. So I did. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I got in the <laughs> container um, and he, he had it like his arm around my neck the whole time he walked around me, had the, the gun to the side of my neck. Um, so got in the container and he pulled out of the driveway and he, he drove away. And so from that moment, I knew that, I mean, I know, I knew he didn't take me for any good reasons. And I knew that I was going to escape. There was never a question in my mind that I was going to escape. It's like, I'm going to escape. What do I need to do? to do that. Okay. Well, he needs to become complacent at some point. So how do I get him to become complacent? Well, I just go along with everything that he says and let him think that, you know, I'm, I'm not difficult basically. And then he'll mm-hmm. let his guard down. And I was like, well, I also need to know as much about him as I can. So I started trying to pay attention to the turns that he was taking, trying to figure out where we we're going until he got on the interstate and I realized I was not going to be able to tell where we were going. Um, so I, instead I memorized the number that was on the inside of the, the container. That was the first thing that I memorized. Okay. I'm going to memorize this. I don't know how it's going to help, but it's going to help. And so he drove for a little ways before, and then he pulled over, um, like kind of off the side of the road, uh, took the lid off, gagged me, told me to scream as loud as I could. And he said, okay, put the lid on and, and drove a little bit longer. And then he got out of the car and grabbed the container with me in it and carried it a short way um, into his apartment. What is what I later found out was his apartment. And I was there for 18 hours with him and I was assaulted trigger warning for any of your listening yeah. listeners. I was um, sexually assaulted multiple times while I was there. It was 18 hours that I was there. Um, and he was gathering information on me. And he didn't realize that I was also doing the same thing. I was finding out, you know, I found out he was in the Navy and I found out who his doctor was and who his dentist was. And I saw, yeah, there were magnets on the refrigerator. I was like, how did you, wow. Yeah, I saw a magnet (laughs) on the refrigerator. So I knew who his dentist was and who his doctor was. And um, I saw, you know, like 
um, feminine hygiene products and like a, a brush with long red hair in the bathroom. And I was like, okay, so a woman with long red hair lives here. And so I was just cataloging all of these things. It's like, I'm going to get out and I don't know anything about, I don't know his name, but I need to be able to identify him. So I'm cataloging all of these things. And um, so eventually after many, many hours, maybe about three o'clock in the morning, uh, he had given me drugs and I fell asleep. He restrained me before sleep. And so I had um, handcuffs on my wrist that were attached to the headboard of the bed, like a tie apparatus. And I had Mm -hmm. a restraint around my right leg that was connected to the foot of the bed. And he was asleep in the bed next to me. And so I woke up about seven o'clock in the morning and he was still asleep. And I realized this was my time, my time to escape. And uh, so I detached the kind of C-clamp that was holding the handcuffs to the bed. I detached that. I actually had to use my teeth to loosen it and slid the handcuffs out of that and um, then kind of shimmied my hands down my leg and undid the restraint that was on my leg and then kind of slid out of the bed and got um, got my shorts, went to the front door And there's a whole lot of stuff blocking the door. So I had to throw the door open, move a bunch of stuff, throw the door open because he's essentially on the other side of the wall from me asleep still. And he always had a gun. He always had a knife. He always had some sort of weapon. Um, And so I threw the door open and ran and I just knew he was going to wake up and look out the window and he was going to see me and shoot me. But Mm. I just thought it doesn't matter at least I'm out. Somebody will be able to identify him and, um, and find him. So then I ran out in front of a car that was driving across the parking lot and, and told them that I just escaped from my kidnapper. And I said, take me to the police. And, and so they did. So that's the really quick version. I mean, so. holy shit. Like my heart is like racing. I know. I can't even yeah. imagine. Like, I mean, even just like getting out of bed and like not wanting to wake someone up you actually care about, you know, like Like it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. And then someone like literally your life is on the line, but like you're 15 and to think of all of those things Mm -hmm. to pay attention to is Uh like, I can't even, I can't even imagine thinking that was, you know, important or I, you know, rather than just like losing my shit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that is one of the things that um, people always ask about, how did you, how did you know to do that? Mm. Like, well, I think for me, um, the way I dealt with my trauma and the way I dealt with stress, even before that in my, in my, you know, family of origin is Mm. I dissociated. Um, So I was dissociated. So it's very easy to think clearly when you're in a dissociative state because you don't have emotions attached to it. And that's why I can tell the story, just be like, and this happened and this happened and this happened. Yeah. Because I'm still dissociated from it because it kind of feels like I'm telling someone else's story. I mean, my body still feels it, but my emotions don't have any connection there. So, um, So it was very easy for me to be detached and have these very analytical thoughts. And, you know, I think, I think part of it is, maybe it's divine intervention, maybe it's Mm -hmm. intuition. I mean, you can call it whatever you want to call it. For me, I think a lot of it was divine intervention. And I was praying absolutely the the entire time that I would find a way to escape. But um, 
yeah, I, I think I just, I somehow knew, I knew that it was going to happen. And I knew that this was what my plan of action was going to be. And, um, and I, and I knew that people that preyed on young women, mm-hmm. I knew that he wanted me to be scared. And I am a very, very hard-headed person. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, he wants me to be scared. Well, I'm not going to be. So it was very, um, like I said, because I was dissociated, it was very easy for me to be like, oh yeah, no, I'm not going to do that thing. Now, don't, don't misunderstand that I wasn't. I mean, there were a couple of times that I was there that I did have a panic attack or, you know, I did break down. Um, but for the most part, it was very, very level-headed. And, um, and I, I think, I, I don't think I dismantled that dissociation, honestly, until like 15 years later. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I was going to, that was actually going to be a question of mine is like, do you, because as you're telling it, right, you're able to just like knock it out and dissociate from, from it. And I, you know, I've actually had a therapist say to me one time, like, why, you know, why aren't you crying right now? Aren't you upset? You don't seem like you're connected at all to this. You're just, you're telling me stuff that normal clients would be like sobbing and you're just like, and then this and that, the other thing. And it's because, you know, to feel your emotions, you need to be in your body. And when your body is not a safe place to be, right you aren't feeling those emotions so exactly yeah and it's it's a protection mechanism right like our body has a a ton of amazing protection mechanisms that are built into it and dissociation is a very common one when there's something that's happening that you can't you know your 15 year old psyche can't comprehend Mm -hmm. right then your body's like okay we're not going to survive this you know if you're feeling all of this so let's just shut that down right yeah just shut it down so um that was very much kind of my way of processing and, and it still still can be sometimes and it it was for many years afterwards yeah because I mean that's trauma and it's it's gonna it's gonna right. resurrect and come up for sure yeah. um no matter how much healing we do on on our stuff it's like you know that's the go-to yeah. so after this you are this 15 year old survivor yeah how did you how did you go back, you know, go back to, I don't even want to say normal life, but you know, right. what, what were the steps that you had to take to just even just feel okay? Yeah. So, um, when I got out of the apartment, obviously he woke up and he, he ran. So there mm-hmm. were, there were a few days that no one knew where he was. And, um, they actually, his sister ended up turning him in for all intents and purposes. There was a police mm-hmm. chase that ended in him killing himself. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so I had some time kind of to process that, but I didn't, I did not live in like some big town. It wasn't necessarily a small town, but everybody kind of knew, right? So it happened during the summer, but everybody kind of knew what happened. And I felt like people handled it one of two ways, right? So they either walked on eggshells around me and they were mm. like, Ooh, treat Kara with kid gloves, which for me, I was like, I don't want to be treated like that. Like, this did this didn't yeah, affect me. That I, was my, I don't, that was my MO for a very yeah. long time. I'm like this didn't affect me. I don't it, see you as a kind of person who's right. like, you know, like, needs that. <laughs> I'm like, don't yeah. treat me like I'm fragile, please. Um, so they either did that, um, or you know, they avoided it. And then I had a few people that they were almost like um like riding, like riding my coattails almost because it was high school, right? So like mm-hmm. I go back to school. And they're like, oh yeah, like I was at the hospital when, you know, Kara was there getting her 
assault kit done. And, and, you know, she was scared of every man that came in. I'm like, I don't even know you. Yeah, who are right? you? So people were just, you know, it's it just this, the high school machine and they were just, you know, making up all these things. Um, and I just wanted to go back to normal mm. and people would, you know, like ask my friends or ask my boyfriend or, you know, what, what's going on with Kara? And I'd be like, can y'all just ask me? So, and I think that was always kind of, I was always so able to talk about it and so open that it was very difficult um, for people to know and wonder and not just come straight to me. Um, Mm. And then kind of as time passed, I just stopped talking about it because if people didn't already know about it, um, I didn't, I did not like telling them and then seeing the look that crossed their face or hearing Mm. Like I would say, oh yeah, like this thing, because inevitably I went on to work in law enforcement and inevitably someone would ask me, well, how did you get into law enforcement? And I'm like, <laughs> well, <laughs> like, yeah. how do I tell you without telling you? Right. So, yeah. Um, and, and I tell people and their face is just like, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm like, I don't, don't say sorry. You don't like, need don't, pity. Yeah. Right. And that yeah. just, um, so it's, it's just been like this, it's continually different, um, how, how you get back to normal and what that looks like. And I mean, what even is normal? Right. Exactly. Like, it's, is it, does anybody have a normal? I don't know. It's, I, it's like obvious like, you don't go back to normal because right. there's no going back, you know, when something like that happens or something traumatic happens. Um, yeah. but then it's like, how do you be? that you, you know, how do you process this? How do you yeah. move through it? Cause you can't move past it. That's not a thing. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm so glad you said that. Cause it's so true. Yeah. It's not move past it. Um, it's move through it. Right. And then you have, you know, made this a big, you know, this is your story and obviously, and I, I fucking hate when people are like, everything happens for a reason. Like when someone's in it, cause it's like, what? Yeah. Like what the hell could there possibly be the reason <laughs> right. for something this horrific to happen? Right. But there is, you know, when you've moved through it and, you know, there is a purpose that, that comes you can from it. Find reason. Yeah. Everything doesn't happen for a reason, but you can find reason yes. in everything. Right. Yes. Yes. And so very much so. So how did I deal with it for a really long time? Honestly, I didn't because I was like, this yeah. didn't affect me. It was like, I don't, right. it's just a thing that happened. I don't know. Like, this is crazy. Doesn't, doesn't affect me at all. Right. Yeah. And then I get, when I have kids and I, you know, get into my thirties and I'm like, I don't feel anything. I'm like yeah. a big, you know, numb human. And the only thing I feel is angry all the time, just really angry. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's when I really started like, demantling what does that mean and how did I get here and Mm -hmm. what is the effect of that um but yeah and I think I can find reason in it I always felt like I found reason in it and and I know it's like it's like cliche it's like good vibes only or like everything happens for a reason it's like I mean I okay I see where you're going with it but um but yeah you can find reason in it and I always found reason I think that was always kind of my I didn't question why did this happen to me? I always felt like this happened to me and I dealt with it, you know, air quotes, dealt with it Mm -hmm. so well, because one day I will help one person. That's it. That's all. That's my goal. Help one person. Um, And now like, as I continue along this journey, I'm like, oh, like there is, there's very much a reason because I never 
I never would have chosen to work in law enforcement. Let me tell you, that never would have been my first choice of career. Like I wanted to be a teacher. Um, And so I went on to work in law enforcement. That's where I met my husband. That's, you know, obviously the reason I have the children I have. So I definitely find purpose in it. Um, Yeah. But, but it doesn't define me. Right. No, no, you're not Kara, the girl who was kidnapped by a serial killer. Right. You're Kara. Kara. Yeah. And I think, I think one of the reasons that's been a big sticking point for me is because that's one of the things my captor said to me. He said, you know, when, when I let you go, because he said he was going to let me go. Right. Well, come to find out he was responsible for at least three other murders, um, five and six years before me. Mm-hmm. So he said, when I let you go, um, I, it's your choice whether you go to law enforcement or not. And you're always known as the girl who was raped. And so that's always kind of been like a, I guess, like a sticking point. It's like a trigger for me. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, like I'm, I'm so much more than that. Like, yeah, that's part of my story, but it's just, it's such a small part of my life and I get to choose where I find my identity and I don't find my identity in that. Right. Like I use that to refine me and I use that to shape me and to move forward. That like makes me want to throw up that he doesn't it to you. I know that just makes me like, like, like as if he wasn't disgusting and horrible enough. That's like, add insult to (laughs) add insult injury trauma, you know, totally that to even say that because that is so reduce you to nothing. And that's what, you know, predators do. Um, all forms of them. They want to reduce you to something that's not human. So they don't have to acknowledge that. Right. Rewinding really fast. How did you find out that, that he was, you know, responsible for other murders? So law enforcement went into his apartment pretty quickly. They used the information that I was able to give them and they spoke to people at the apartment complex where he lived and they identified who he was And so they got an identity for him pretty quickly and they searched his apartment and, you know, they found a locked footlocker. So he's, he was married. There was a woman that lived there. He was married. She was out of town. She was with his mother and his uh, nephew in Disney world. And um, there was a locked footlocker in the bedroom that his wife never knew what was in it. And I was like, there is no way, there's no way that my husband would just have a locked footlocker. Hell no. (laughs) Okay. Like the first thing I do when you leave, I'm like, we're going to open that. (laughs) So, so there's a locked foot locker in his, um, in his bedroom and they take it and they open it and they find newspaper clippings in there from three murders in Virginia in 96 and 97. Um, Sophia Silva and Katie and Kristen Lisk, two sisters. And so they immediately called the sheriff and they were like, sheriff, we think we have something that's a little more than Kara. And a kidnapping. Right. (laughs) And so they, um, so they notify the people in Virginia that investigated those cases and they came down and they started comparing evidence from these like notorious unsolved crimes that they had up there and they matched it. So um, they kind of, they didn't really tell me until they were like, yeah, we're pretty sure they're like, maybe. Um, And then because I really believed that he was going to let me go up until that point because he, you know, he was, he was sadistic, right? And like, mm. he wasn't a good person, but he wasn't, um, he wasn't like, it sounds weird to say he wasn't mean to me, but you know, when you read about these, yeah. like these people that, you know, who, which one, which one of the serial killers was it that drilled holes in 
in their head and like poured acid in. Was that Dahmer? It was Dahmer. Yeah. Was it Bundy? I can't remember. I think it was Dahmer. Yeah. Like, like he wasn't doing anything like that. Like, I mean, so I'm like, he wasn't, he wasn't violent towards me, I guess would be the, the qualification there. I'm like, so I thought he was going to let me go. And so that was kind of like a, a blow. I was like, Oh, he was going to kill me. And like it, shit just got real. Right. <laughs> and I kind of, I kind of went back and forth and, and took me a while to process that. And I still have days where I'm like, Oh, like, <laughs> and it, now going and trying to look into other things that he might've possibly done. I'm like, okay. All right. So this, this could be really big, you know, like I could have escaped someone who murdered 17 people or whatever. Right. Yeah. Like instead of just three, um, or <laughs> only four, three. yeah, three or four. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's hard to process sometimes. Yeah. I mean, that's freaking wild. And, and right. to be the wife of someone, she had to have had no idea. Well, okay. I mean, so hope she would have no idea. <laughs> right. So <laughs> The phone call that I had just before I talked to you was someone who actually interviewed his wife. And I've never, I've never talked to anyone who's talked to his wife before. And so I know I've always heard like, she didn't believe me or she, Mm. um, she, she was like, she wanted to meet up with him when he was on the run. She was like, I want to die with him. She was 17. So he married her when she was 16. So I mean, that obviously was his type. And he was 38, I think. So, yeah. So, um, so I talked to his FBI agent who interviewed her like a week after, and he was like, she was one of the, um, like, how do I politically correctly say this? Um, he said, she was just a really heinous individual. Basically he, she was basically like, uh, they deserved it. Wow. The victims deserved it. Just like no remorse whatsoever for what he did. I'm like, and of course I'm okay. So Enneagram, do you do the Enneagram? Um, yes. Okay. I'm, <laughs> I'm an Enneagram nine. Right. So I'm like trying to like figure out, I'm like, well, she was probably just really hurting and saying some things out of pain. I'm like, oh my God, I'm like, like making, to, making excuses, excuses for, her. for her. Yeah. I'm yeah. like, um, yeah. So that's, but yeah, allegedly she had no idea, but I'm like, how do you, how does your husband have like a locked foot locker? And, you know, some of the fantasies and some of the things that um, his first wife um, was interviewed and some of the things his first wife said that some of his fantasies revolved around. I'm like, Oh, you knew. Yeah. Like, there was no way you didn't know. You just didn't want to know. Uh-huh. I can't even imagine like finding something like that out later of like your husband or someone you love. And just to like, I would feel like I didn't, you know, like you just don't even know that person, not like nonchalant. Like I can't even imagine the grief I would feel for those people. Right. Forget like my own grief of like, everything is a lie. And then you have this woman who's like a sociopath. I mean, right. And then I'm like, I should probably had like Stockholm syndrome basically because Mm. You know, like he met her when she was like 15, married her when she was 16, right? Like he was like this older guy. And I was like, yeah, she was probably so just like molded to what he wanted her to believe. And sure, she was so, I mean, think about like who like emotionally, like I did not make the decisions even when I was 25. <laughs> like, right. You yeah. know, like, <laughs> oh my God. So 
You know? Oh yeah. And like age 16 thinking you're like totally in love with like the boy in math class or whatever, like it's going to be right. forever and right. not seeing past that. Right. No, it's going to be forever. And then later you're like, what? Yeah. I think of that, that TikTok trend where it's like talking to my 14 year old self and it's like, did we marry that guy? And they're all like, no, <laughs> like, Oh, like the things that yeah the things that we thought would come come to pass oh we sweetie yeah. yeah not even close and I know definitely didn't want to yeah so I wonder now like I actually think about it I'm like I wonder you know here we are almost we're 19 years later I'm like I wonder mm-hmm. if I wonder if she has come hopefully she's come back around like yeah, or not ended up with someone else who was just as messed uh-huh. up, you know what I mean? Because that, that can be a pattern too, and that's... Right. That would be horrible. Yeah, seriously, so. Yeah, you are, I mean, you're amazing for, I, I know, like, you know, we talked about the dissociation and telling your story, but I just want to honor you for sharing it because I it can't, it can't be easy even, you know, having to do that, right? Like having yeah. to kind of de- unclick um, from your body in order to tell something that is incredibly traumatic and we all deal with trauma in different ways um, and none of it's bad or wrong um, but of course like it's something that we got to look at we got to heal in order to you know really be our best our best self for ourselves and for others and and to feel okay right yeah. but I, I really do just want to honor you for sharing that with us and thank you so much for for sharing your story no matter how many times you've you've told it yeah. um, I appreciate you Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah. I mean, I, I've been lucky enough that I've had experiences where I've been able to sit down with people who, who get me. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the most powerful things that I did is I sat down with a bunch of other women who are survivors of kidnappings and sexual assaults and um, cases and names that you would, you would know and recognize mm-hmm. and and just to sit down with them and be like, oh, you know, that experience when this happens and it makes you feel this way. And they're like, yeah, I actually do know what you're talking about. And it's not something that a lot of people really um, mm. perceive and understand. And um, so that was something that was being impactful for me and really cemented one of the reasons why I want to continue to share. Because I think that so many, like you said, we all have some like different types of traumas and it may be capital T traumas. It may be lowercase T yeah. traumas. And we process those in our own ways. But I think that, um, you know, especially when we're talking about the experience of sexual assault, like it's just, it's just so common. And I think that so many people don't get to sit down and talk to someone who really understands what they go through. Um, and so to be able to share that and maybe someone sees it and they, they feel seen and they feel heard by something that I say where they're like, wow, I've never heard anybody else talk about that thing. Um, it really just keeps me going. And, um, and that can be incredibly hearing, healing, you yeah. know, just to hear, just to feel seen. Right. And that's, yeah. and it was for me because again, I was like, Oh, this doesn't affect me. And I was like, yeah, I'll go and do this thing. And then I sat down on this couch with, you know, six other women. And afterwards, like it, everyone in the studio is just like sobbing. And they're like, that is like the most intense, powerful thing I've ever experienced. It was just so amazing. And I was like, yeah, I didn't realize how much I needed that. I didn't Mm -hmm. realize how much I needed um, to be seen. And, and now going through this process of sharing continuously, having other people that are around me who have similar experiences who I can be like, 
oh, you know, like I, I did a podcast today. I'm like, so I'm like emotionally tapped out for the next 24 hours. Like don't expect anything deep or like insightful yeah. for me. Right. And I didn't <laughs> realize what a vulnerability hangover as Brene Brown calls it. I didn't realize what that was. And now that I've surrounded myself with people who are in the same spheres, they're like, oh yeah. So don't expect anything good out of yourself for a little while. I'm like, oh, that's, that's normal. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it's really helps with my journey. Yeah. Cause you're not, I mean, you're not a robot. Right. right. Yeah. And it, you mean my trauma does affect me? So yeah. Weird. Strange. Yeah. I thought so I shoved strange. that. I thought I squished it really, really, oh, really far down to a deep, dark place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, I think, you know, like this is something that you'll always have and, and for you to turn it into good. Cause you are, I mean, you're doing amazing work out there, just sharing it and just yeah. allowing other people to get that healing from, from feeling seen and feeling understood. You know, I think that's one of the, the biggest things that humans just desire, but you know, besides love and feeling good enough, like they want to yeah. feel seen and that's a part of it. So yeah. you doing that alone is incredible. Yeah. And it's, thank you. It's, it's, you know, I think it takes a lot for someone to take something that has happened to them and turn it into something good. Cause you see a lot of the times where it's the opposite, you know, people have been through something horrible, horrific, and then they lash out at the world and they're, you know, they use it as to keep people away. And really they're just really hurting and they just exactly. don't express it in the same ways. Yeah. And I think, um, I think sometimes people can see my story and they can say, Oh my God, I don't know how I could do that. And I've even had a similar experience. Like mm -hmm. I, when I was at the police Academy, we had someone come and share who was an officer and, and he got shot point blank range and then like walked a mile with like a gunshot wound to the head and like, wow. and like described his, the person that shot him and like what direction they went. It was like very calm. And, and I was like, mm -hmm. wow, I don't, I don't think I could do that. Right. Mm -hmm. So like we see other people's experiences and it's like, the proverbial elephant, like, how do you eat this elephant? And it's like, well, you just do it one bite at a time. Right. Yeah. So like, how do you get through this thing? And so you just keep going. Like yeah. you have days where you're like, well, I really screwed the pooch today. Like I did not <laughs> do well today. And then you're like, okay, so what? So we get up tomorrow and we try again. Like, don't yeah. think that I'm perfect. And I just woke up and I'm like, I'm fine. I mean, I still, I still have to, to try often. And it, and it, I think very often healing ends up not looking or feeling the way we think it will. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think oh, it, yeah. the things that have been like the most healing, I'm like, oh, it's that? I'm like, weird. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, um, so I think that we just have to keep trying. And sometimes that means you keep trying things to heal, right? Like, all right, that didn't work. So, you know, people often ask me, they're like, oh, you must have gone through a lot of counseling. I'm like, I did not. Counseling was not for me. Like, I think counseling is great for a lot of people, but yeah. my personality type, I tried it multiple times and I was like, I'm, I don't want to get in with like a shovel. I want you to come in with like the bulldozer. Like, let's knock the, let's knock it down. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Building down. I don't want to talk for a year about the same thing. The, yeah. And then <laughs> because I was associated too, right. I don't, um, like, I, I don't know how to talk through not feeling mm -hmm. like I can't talk myself into feelings. Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's the thing. I mean, that's something I, I speak on a lot is like, you know, so often we think that we, we have to think our way to feeling better and it's, it's yeah. not about thinking. 
Yeah. And it's, I mean, I've found that it tends to be some of the, the smallest things that have the biggest impact. Like we think that we need to have these big grand gestures and, oh, you just, you just wanted to feel better. And so you did. And I'm like, no, some days it's so simple, you know, like people will ask what's, what's a big, you know, what's one of your favorite tips for healing and, and like feeling better. I'm like gratitude journaling. It's like the simplest thing that you're like, oh, this isn't going to make a difference, but it like, it's one of my favorite tools when I start like really feeling down on myself and I start like feeling like my anger, I think that's my biggest, um, Mm. my temper, like my irritability. When I start feeling like it's totally out of control, like I should probably start gratitude journaling. And then within a week, I'm like, I'm so much nicer. (laughs) So much nicer. (laughs) So much more pleasant. I mean, you've, you've got to have a deep, deep well for all that anger. I'm sure. I'm sure there is a rage fire going on in there. Yeah. And I think, um, one of the things that I've been able to do is kind of dismantle that and just Mm. kind of step back from my anger. Um, obviously not in the moment, obviously in the moment, I'm just like a rage monster. (laughs) Like my kids, (laughs) my kids walked on my, you know, like I mopped the floor and then all of a sudden like, Oh, the floor is wet for the next 10 minutes. And you suddenly have to walk across it. Like, so, and then I, you know, like lose my mind because there's footprints on my floor. Right. So um, obviously that's not the moment that I step outside of myself, but um, later I'm like, why did that thing piss me off so bad? Like, why am I so mad about something so stupid? Like, Oh, well, most of the time it boils down to control. Like Mm. it's, and so because you had no control. At right that time yeah yeah and so of most of my anger comes from um, me wanting to control something and the world or people or my environment not uh being wrestled under under my control and into my tight little fist mm. yeah oh so good thank you so much i i mm-hmm. we like to end things here on a quote yeah a little cheesy but i love i love kind of hearing what quotes like if there's something like that you've held on to for your life or maybe just recently or something, even that maybe you've said, do you mind sharing with us? Can I share two? Is that okay? Yeah. Yeah. Of okay. Course. I have to, I mean, I'm not going to butcher one of them. So, um, so one is one that I kind of alluded to and it's a Chinese proverb and it says, uh, it's basically just no matter how many times you fall down, as long as you get up one more time, then you fall down then you'll keep moving. Right. And I was like, that's so powerful to me because it tells you like, it's like rolling the ball up the hill, right? Like as long as you just keep going, you're going to make progress. And I think in a healing journey, we can feel just so futile, right? Mm -hmm. Like, Oh, it's still not better. It's like, well, you're making progress. Um, Even if you're moving inches, you're still moving. Right. So that's something that Um, that's been really impactful for me. And then um, recently I heard this, um, this verse in the Bible that I've never, never heard it before. And it just kind of hit me, like you said, that hit you in the solar plexus early. It kind of hit me like a ton of bricks and it's Genesis 50, 20. And it says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And I was like, bumps. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, that is literally my life story. And that's, kind of what I've always thought. I'm like, well, this thing like was meant to be a bad thing, but here I am. And I literally like saved lives. Right. Like, and, um, so that's kind of been my, my motto and, um, 
and kind of what I've been resonating on a lot lately. So good. So your documentary should be out, should be out by the time this goes live. So you guys um, will need to check that out. Please support her in this. And Kara, where can they find you? I am active, most active on Instagram. I'm on Instagram though, and TikTok and all of the social media outlets. My handle is at Kara Robinson Chamberlain, all those places. And I have a website and it's kararobinsonchamberlain.com. Perfect. Thank you so much again for being here, for sharing your story and just for like being who you are out there in the world. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I've enjoyed it. If this episode hit with you, please go out there and share it. Share it in your Instagram story, send it to a friend who might need it, or even just drop in my DMs on Instagram at Rose and let me know what you think. I love hearing from you guys. Thanks for listening.